Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Comics Fondle Podcast. My name is Andrew, and my blog is comicsfondle.com. And I'm Vernon. I'm the proprietor of a comic store that's located somewhere in the Midwest, but shall remain <laughs> named. <laughs> yes. this, is, this is our pre-apocalyptic podcast, you know, with all the stuff going on, we figure we'll try to squeeze another couple in before the world ends, you know, but uh, if anything, uh, if anything judged the first quarter of comic book releases in the year 2017, it would have to be the lack of re- readable comics. Uh, if, if anything, <laughs> lately, I've had a very, very hard time finding comics that I'm genuinely interested in even looking at, let alone reading. How about you, Andrew? How's the situation there? Oh, you know, it's uh, it's pretty hard to fill out a week if you're reading uh, with what we've got coming out. It's like one or two a week and has yeah. been for the last three weeks, four weeks. It's been a while since I've, I've been behind on my comics. Uh, well, we got Marvel and DC, they take these uh, five Wednesday months, right, as an excuse not to put out shit. Like, oh, we're going to take a week off. I got three fucking comics from DC this week, right? And, you know, since they only put out three, I ran out today on a couple of them, you know, because there's nothing else to buy. So I'm like, okay, if you're number two, that means you got to try harder, okay? <laughs> and it doesn't mean you put out three fucking comics in a week where you're putting out anywhere between 75 and 90 titles a month. Uh, but you know what? Marvel put out some stuff, but is it stuff people want to read? I, I'm having a hard time with it. I'm not seeing it. And they just, their circulation numbers go down every month. I mean, they're on like a four month straight thing of watching their circulation drop. But then the helpless DC, they don't really seem to be able to pick up the baton and go anywhere. You know what I mean? They can't take advantage of Marvel's ineptitude. So they kind of flounder along too, you know? And I'll be damned. I mean, I'm not looking at anything at these days. I think I'm reading that Nick Fury title, you know? Not that there's a whole lot to read in it, but it's a real pretty one. It's got some nice artwork, you know? And being an art wank, I'll pick that up. But Marvel's really dropping the ball. Excuse me a second. But anyway, what, what what is their goal? I'm trying to ask. It certainly isn't to get new customers in or get them reading your comics because Marvel comics these days are all but unreadable. And they have so many uh, things going on in them that nobody seems to care about. This whole thing of greater inclusion of minority characters and women seems to have flopped on its ass and about 80% of the times they try it. And their own business practices and marketing, which take more of a spearhead in why they do things rather than inspired comics or telling good stories. And uh, as a result, man, we're losing Marvel readers to the point where, well, they're the number one publisher. They have 35% of the market. If, if, If comic shops sell half as many comics, Marvel comics, as they did last year, then it blocks. 17% 17% of their sales. I dare any retail business to say that they're in a healthy climate when they lose 17% of their sales. And so my heart goes out to all the comic retailers in the world that have to put up with the big two because between them both, if they struggle, everyone struggles. And that's the problem. So let's 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 say a big high five to those surviving shops. I'm going to, like, paraphrase uh, what I've heard on the Internet. Get in the shops, buy some comics, clean out your goddamn files, 
<laughs> and how can a comic book dealer survive, okay? He needs money. You, just because you feel good when you go in there and buy two comics in a week where you normally buy 10 or 12, doesn't mean the comic book retailer feels good about it. So try to find something besides the big two assholes to read from, okay? Uh, DC, doing marginally better. They've got titles that people still kind of get around. Their characters are at least true to what basic premise that DC sets on them. They're not turning them into the opposite sex. Or, or into Nazis. Nazis. I mean, there's or that. Right. I mean, there's just so much weird shit going on at Marvel that people don't agree with. But on the other hand, when you're the second best and the best titles that you publish are called New Superman about a Chinese Superman, um, The Flintstones, which is a parody of life that's just finishing up, and Wildstorm, which is Warren Ellis's latest incarnation of Jim Lee's stuff, I'd say you've got a little ways to go before you can really say you're going to take advantage of a situation. Other than that, I don't have much interest in DC titles either. They're pretty lukewarm, and I just don't even care for most of them. But, uh, you know, these two guys, they got to get their fucking shit together. I, I, I don't hold out much hope that... Uh, a lot of shops are going to, a lot of the shops that are on the edge are going to probably go away by the end of the year if this shit keeps up. So, good luck. I mean, that's too bad that we have the future of comics entrusted to two major corporations that really don't give a shit, seem to not give a shit about comic books anymore. That, that is a problem. And we can't forget that uh, Disney was so interested in comic book publishing that they farmed out their licenses for years. And uh, Warner Brothers is so interested in book and paper publishing that they closed Warner Books, and the only thing left is DC Comics. So, yeah, it is not, uh, at the same time that they're trying to exploit these guys for creative properties, they aren't really throwing, uh, like, you know, and I think we emailed about this, but, and, you know, I don't want to get anybody upset, but you know, how the fuck does Dan Didio still have a job? You know, that's a good question. He's a lousy comic book publisher, and he's an even worse, like, producer of films or whatever his creative job is. I mean... He doesn't have anything to do with that, I don't think. But no, I mean, like, we've been talking about how this guy's been fucking up DC since Identity Crisis. That was 2003, wasn't it? And I'm trying to think. He needed. I'm trying to think. When did he? When did he get an ownership position in the company or whatever? Oh, uh, him, Jim Lee, and Jeff Johns got one in the late 2000s, right? Yeah, when, when they did the rebirth, right? Or no, 52. The new 52 yeah. was their deal. Yeah, but and I mean, the they've been losing readership hand over fist since then, and they still keep this fucking guy around. It's incredible. That DC is not shaking this thing up. Of course, and uh, we'll get to movies later, but uh, somebody I mean, was... do they owe these guys a job? I well, don't understand. I don't, yeah, I don't get it, but somebody was saying, uh, you know, may, maybe we're thinking about this wrong, that maybe DC, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe Warner's goal for DC is to get product out there, not necessarily to exploit it for movies or TV, but just for there to be product out there. You know? Yeah. I mean, when you're when you, when most of your publishing runs in the 30,000 copies a month realm, you're not really reaching that many people. I mean, it's kind of 
I mean, that's that's like I don't know. That's like the population of a small city nowadays. That's that's like, what Vertigo books used to just do. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, what books just to, used to do that. Unwritten used to just do that. So yeah, I can't imagine that. Like you look at those books that used to pump up monthly. Unwritten, Lucifer, uh, Why the Last Man. I mean, all these were like really cool books that you could pick up every month and really enjoy. And there's really nothing like that from the DC stable these days. It's just bankrupt. Vertigo's still in business, right? Yeah, but all their books suck. I'm sure all, like, their books have the... sucked for years. Yeah, I mean, it's they're all running at about 5,000 copies a month. Ugh. I know, I know. It's like, oh, hey, you know, my relatives like to read Vertigo, and that's about half their readership or whatever, you know? Uh, <laughs> it's it's really tough, you know? And when you're a comic fan, I mean, I, I don't want to turn into a big, dark, depressing ball of shit here, but uh, it's, you know, they're, they're making it hard to like comics, and it's really sad when it's coming from the people that are in the decision-making process leadership role, and they don't come up with nothing, you know? Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's tough. I, 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 what is, I'm, I'm about ready to pull an Ivan Brunetti, you know? I'm like, uh, you know? Well, now but everybody hey, burn no- draws, so <sighs> somebody get well, him to do an ready. Ivan Brunetti of uh, comics retailing. Come on! Yeah. Ivan Brunetti's doing a fucking kid's book. You can do an Ivan Brunetti style of a... Uh... I worry about the children that read Ivan Brunetti's children's books. I think Supposedly it's going to be very... Uh, it's about letters or something. There's a link on the Facebook page to Vernon's secret to be... comic book shop that we'll probably be telling you all about at the end of the show. <laughs> Brunetti's letters to his ex-wife. Or something like that. Here, kids, there's a dose of reality for yeah, you. Don't get married. Uh, okay, That's so good. we're good. before we get into the comics, we are going to. Uh, are you done with your rant? Do you want to? I'm done. Do you I'm going to pull you rant. off the uh, downward spiral there. The high horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, yeah. Mention mention Wizards' new contribution to comics. Yes, Wizards' latest contribution to comics. <laughs> The funniest thing is if somebody's listening to this show and they didn't read comics in the 90s or early 2000s, I don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Um, Wizard Magazine has inducted as their Rob first. Liefeld. Is he the first one? He's yes. the first one. Yes. Into the Wizard World Hall of Legends, which sounds like a shitty mobile video game. And uh, we thought this was so funny because absolutely no one besides Rob Liefeld, Mark Miller, and people who either work for Rob Liefeld or are insane think Rob Liefeld contributed anything good to comic books. Um, Though I suppose I, you know, his his DC work was less offensive in the late 80s than his, his subsequent work. So I was like, why don't we come up with a hashtag for this story, everyone? And I, just, I, I was just, you know, I went cheap. I went Apocalypse Now. Yeah, that was And this was one. before we decided we were going to buttfuck the environment. Um, but some of Vern's customers and our listeners came up with some better ones. And we're going to start at the bottom, and then we're going to get to my favorite. Sounds good. We've got Wizard is Trash. Ooh. Footloose. Footloose, yes, because Rob doesn't draw feet. Now we got five quick ones. Uh, We got Kirby is King, Participation Trophy, Who Cares, Irrelevant Self-Promotion, and Kill Off Carl. 
Yeah. And then finally, for my favorite ones, we have what is anatomy, what is perspective, feet are hard to draw, and finally, Levi's jeans, because Rob Liefeld was one of the 501 jeans spokesmen back in 92 when that was hip and cool. Um, So yeah, Rob Liefeld, who has probably become even richer thanks to the Deadpool movie and has convinced people he is relevant yet again, Yeah, will be a Wizard World League Hall of... of Le- Hall of Le- he'll be a Wizard World legend. I think that since Wizard has pretty much become a convention company, they're basically doing this as a emotional stunt for their convention so mm-hmm. as you'll as you'll notice like okay well there's a convention here so rob liefeld will be nominated at this convention hall and then they'll find some chump who wants to be at their next convention and they'll say hey how would you like to be in our hall of legends if you show up and be our guest of honor and i think it has more to do with like selling the convention than it has anything to do with actual comics aesthetics or anything like that or relationship to comics mm-hmm. I'm yeah, sure just, Todd McFarlane will be the next one. Well, that's only if he does Wizard World Cons. I, I, I bet you wouldn't be nominated if you weren't willing to be Guest of Honor. Yeah. I mean, if you don't show up, like, well, then you can't be Guest of Honor because you got to be there if we're going to nominate you into our Hall of that's Hall of a good Legends. Point. That is a good yeah, point. so that's a load of shit, you know. <laughs> speaking of a, speaking of another load of shit, real quickly before we get onto the comics reviews. Fucking image, okay? We've, we've, we've lambasted the problems of, 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 of indie publishing, but for whatever reason, the Skybound label that's headed by Robert Kirkman, of all people, has decided that quarter 25-cent introductory comics are something that retailers want anything to do with. So last month, they put out a quarter issue of The Walking Dead, a title that sells perfectly well on its own. Wait, 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 it, wait, 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 wait. Was it a reprint wait. of the first issue, or was it like a, whatever, oh, 125 it, or whatever? It was right in the middle of a story. Oh, my God. I know. Remember when so, Marvel did that shit? Ugh. Oh, you know, fuck 25-cent comics. I mean, the cheapest comics in my store are three for a buck, Okay. You're really asking a lot of a retailer to fucking want to stock a 25-cent comic. And and it's still a stick in the butt when it's something that sells like Walking Dead or this month the latest issue of Saga is 25 cents. I have no problem selling Saga at 3 bucks a hit or Walking Dead at $3 a hit. So why make them a quarter as an introductory issue? Why not make a quarter introductory issue on something that you're trying to promote or get in the mainstream or get into people's hands? The idea of putting your best sellers in for a quarter seems kind of half-assed, stupid, and leaving money at the table. And I don't want to handle a comic that costs me 13 cents, okay? I'm not making any money on it. And you know what You know what the, the end result here is? These things are actually cheaper than free comic book day books, which are running 25 to 35 cents now. So I'm like, well, you know, shit, I'll just give those away on free comic book day, okay? <laughs> They're less than half as much money as I paid for the fucking free comic book day books, you know? Now, you so, also got to remember, I don't know if they're still out there, but they're, remember, you know, shops that bag and board for you? Yeah, where are those at? Well, I don't know. There, there was one, uh, one of your non-competitors back in yeah. back when I was your 
faithful customer. Um, they would be spending more bag- bagging and boarding than they would be on the book. Ugh. Yeah, I could imagine that. Uh, I, I charge 35 cents for a bag and a board at the shop, and that would be more money than you'd actually pay for the comic that, that, that you're going to slide it into, you know? And I just, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I've been in retailing for 20 years. Why give something away for 25 cents when you have absolutely no problem selling it for 12 times that much? It makes no sense. Well, anyway, we found some comics to read. Believe it or not, we, we still not love comics. Not very many, but we got not some to talk. Many. I think we got about 10 of them, so we'll just kind of blow through them. Now, believe it or not, a DC one made it to my list, not because it's a great read, but because of its absolutely beautiful one. Now, excuse me a second. Apparently, Jack Kirby, if he were alive, he'd be 100 years old this year. So... Each company has decided to do some kind of homage. Now, DC is going to be doing like these one-shots, thick one-shots based on Kirby characters that are homages from some of their more popular artists and writers in their stable. I can deal with that. Now, Marvel, on their Kirby homage, is offering Kirby variant covers if you order the appropriate amount of copies to qualify for the Kirby covers. So they can blow that homage out their ass. Because I don't give a fuck about ordering extra Marvel comics to achieve a Kirby variant cover. That, that's To me, that's back-ass words. And these are just reprints anyway. But to get back to the point, Commandy Challenge, a book that definitely has a bit of a niche audience. I'm thinking very few of my customers are under 40 or 45 years of age. Even remember who Commandy Last Boy on Earth is, but... Uh, it's a homage book. It's 12 issues long. Every issue has a different writer and artist, and they got to pick up the cliffhanger from the team before them and carry it on to the end of their book and then leave a cliffhanger on for the next team. Now, lucky for us, the, the best artist at D.C., a fellow named Ivan Rice, drew this issue of Commandy. And they have a beautiful, beautiful line drawing by Gary Frank that graces the cover. And if this isn't absolutely the best artwork that's appeared on a comic this month, I just don't know. Because he takes the Kirby dynamism and he incorporates it within his own style and comes up with this absolutely beautifully illustrated book that is filled with such grace and wonderful line work. And I don't know, I just read it because it was so beautiful. You know what I mean? Not that it was a great read or anything, but... Man, Ivan Rice is the bee's knees, and how DC hangs on to him, I don't know. I'd probably pay him more than anybody else working there, I'm thinking. But uh, if you're an art wank, that's that's a great comic to read, I don't know, like just to look through. But uh, eh, anyway, that was my one-off. That was my one DC recommended read this week. Anyway. <coughs> I got another one, but we'll go to that later. Yeah. Uh, next up, we're going to talk a little bit about Black Hammer number nine. Which... You're going to get that. I'm going to get that one. Now, Black I didn't Hammer... What? what? I, didn't, I sold out of it. You haven't read it yet? Okay, I so I can't spoil anything. Yeah, so, right. Black Hammer number eight ended on one hell of a finish. Not really a cliffhanger, but just one hell of a finish. And yeah. so, Lemire and fill-in artist David Rubin, who Vern loves, so I know he's going to be pissed off that he sold out. Yep. Sold out Rubin. twice. Yep. Uh, they sort of they sort of do a little bit of a follow up to that. They do a done in one, looking at the Adam Strange variant 
uh, yeah, Colonel, Weird, Strange, Colonel Weird and his sidekick and things like that. And it's a, it's a good book. It also develops the Black Hammer daughter. Now she, she showed up in uh, Black Hammer verse uh, a little bit ago, and she hasn't really had much to do after she arrived. But now, now she's getting stuff to do, and it's, uh, it's gonna. It seems like it's gonna work out now. I always give Vern crap because while he discovered Black Hammer of the two of us, he was never a Jeff Lemire fan, and I was, and then we sort of like, flip-flopped. Like his writing, hate his artwork. So, you know, it's very nice to see this book continue on, and I mean, it's very weird to say that a book's doing all right at issue nine. Like, you know, an ongoing or something that's... At least going to run, what, 12, 16 issues. Saying that at issue 9, we're like, ooh, it's still going good. You know, that that just feels weird in some ways, but... They even threw an annual in there. Yep, they even threw an annual in. Uh, and hopefully the trades are selling, because it's a it's a fine book. And, and Dark Horse was pretty, pretty smart. When you got the first... Uh, when you did your first initial order of the uh, first collection or trade... They sent out these real, really wonderful um, steined stickers that you could put in the book mm-hmm. with uh, Jeff Lemire and uh, was it is it uh, Ormstein Ol- Dean Ormstein's the regular artist. Yeah, he is good, and they both signed this beautiful little illustrated sticker that you could put in there. And it's actually not a little; it's as big as a fucking page. But I recommended my customers don't stick it in there; just stick it in there, you know, with the whole mm-hmm. thing. But you know, Black Hammer really exceeds. Uh, Expectations. Now it's a bit of a depressing book. Oh yeah, this is the this is the book that uh, there's no good reason that Vertigo doesn't have this book. We haven't said that in a while, but considering they're all uh, riffs on DC characters, oh yeah, there is no reason. There is no good reason that Vertigo didn't have this book, other than nobody wants to fucking work for Vertigo anymore. I, I can't, I mean, I, this is nothing against Dark Horse, but I just can't think, I, I can't imagine how many more readers it would have mm-hmm. if it was published by DC. You know what I mean? Like, DC has the promotional arm, and they got the attention of everybody and their mother, and Black Hammer is a really cool team-up superhero book. And right now at my shop, it's selling twice as well as uh, Justice League of America, which is not a great statement for Justice League of America, but... It's for Black Hammer, you know. Like. It's for Black Hammer. I mean, you know, the best when the best mainstream books are being put out by independent publishers. This is a different world we're living in now, you know. Uh, speaking of Dark Horse, uh, they just finished up another one of their independent series by the man, the man that does not know how to stop writing, John Arcudi, with the uh, Dead Inside Five, which finished up a miniseries, um, a real powerful book in search chapters. Uh, about a police investigator that has somehow found their way into trying to unravel a murder in prison and how many people it catches up in its its thing. And it's got some really kind of expressionistic artwork by Tony Fazula. Yep. I, I'm probably ruining his uh, name, but he has a very expressionistic art style, which leads towards really emotional-looking things rather than like perfectly drawn humans at times. But he's got a really nice style, and it works well within the uh, the the prison story about the characters trying to figure out who committed this murder and what's going on with the leaders. 
And while it wasn't perfect, uh, it was a nice introduction to a character that might be able to be used later. They might be able to use Detective later. And it's a nice read. I thought it was better than a lot of stuff that's coming out these days. And Five Issues and Done is a pretty small story by today's standards yeah. as well. Or Cody's been writing for Dark Horse since 90 at least, maybe earlier, so... Maybe earlier. He was their workhorse. He was doing BPRD, Hellboy-related shit, tons of... uh, He did the mask, I think, back in the day. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah, he's been a Dark Horse guy forever, and uh, he's got some imagination and some good chops, and he's always... uh, well, let's put it this way. He's a better writer than most writers at Marvel and DC. And you wonder why they haven't captured him either. You know what I mean? They, they go out of their way to hire these guys who are superstars. And then they bring them over and then make them write superhero comics. And then their talent starts sucking mightily. Like Jason Aaron used to be halfway interesting. But now he's just like bland as pace. And uh, pace, excuse me. And, you know, there's there's other ones. Jason Aaron, who's somebody, well, Bendis, the He's all right, but they changed When's the, the last time we cared about Brian Michael Bendis? Like, When's we, the we, last time you cared about Powers, Herman? <laughs> yeah, don't give a shit about him. Well, what, uh, Jonathan Hickman, who's better, he left Marvel. Uh, Matt Fraction, okay, who actually turned out to be one of the better comics writers of the uh, 2000s. It still is doing all right. I mean, he doesn't work for Marvel. And that may be part of the dichotomy that's going on here when the major companies can't hang on to these guys when they get their chops down and try to go out and feel the market on their own. But, you know, it, it they have to continue writing for the mainstream guys. I mean, I don't know, because they were the most interesting thing going on. You know, that was it. After that, it's kind of downhill, you know. Well, another one of our local favorites. Uh, God Yeah, go for that one. Simon Spurrier, right? Yeah, Who's Simon, that Simon Spurrier. So uh, we we got excited about old uh, Simon Spurrier off of uh, the hell is the name of that great book with the shitty collection? Um, well, let's see. There's Six Gun Gorilla. Nah, that's when we first saw him, but that wasn't entirely successful. As opposed to what's that second one? The Spire. The Spire. I love that book. Uh, and it's got a way too expensive trade paperback out for the size. Um, know, it, 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 well, it was nine issues in three ninety nine, so it was an oversized trade. But still, you got to get it down to like twenty or twenty two dollars if you want people. Well, to buy if you want to charge me a lot of money for that, you got to give me the art in a bigger, uh, a bigger size. Yeah, I mean for yeah. that, I mean the guy he had on the art, and uh, he's got a different guy on uh, God Shaper. He's got this guy Jonas Goonface. Who I thought was all right the first issue, but the second issue I'm getting more impressed with them, and they're really building it out nice, and it's getting better. I mean, it's this weird. Uh, what if all technology like stopped working back in the '60s? Yet there's magic, and everybody has their personal god that they do shit with, and then some people don't have gods, but. Everybody else needs them because they're the only ones who can manipulate the gods. So right, this change them to their personal. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a metaphor uh, for uh, marginalized people, and you know Spurrier takes it pretty seriously. And it's it's nice to see Boom doing this kind of thing. Still, um, they've just 
you know, I've personally, you haven't, but I've personally been following Boom since they started. And, I mean, they went everywhere. They started out as basically being rejected uh, pitches for Hollywood. And have since gotten into, uh, then they went into Mark Wadeville with, uh, what was that one? Incorruptible. Oh, yeah, 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 back in the formulative days. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, they, they've had a long time churning, and they're, they're, they're getting into a nice place, and they're keeping that going. Um, Simon Spurrier doesn't just write for them, but uh, the stuff he does there is the stuff that I read, actually. Yeah, Boom has a wonderful varied label. It goes anywhere from uh, kids' comics to hardcore reference, and they are actually probably... They have the most variety of any comic book company right now. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, their books are all uniformly three ninety nine, which is kind of a high point for some of that stuff. But when you're an indie publisher, I guess I can forgive you, you know. Uh, but God Shaper is a really cool book. It's got an uh, interesting premise, and this guy Jonas Goodface brings a lot of personality. Yeah. To it. You know what I mean? Simon Cy Spurrier seems to team himself up with very uh, sympathetic artists to what he's trying to accomplish. Mm. It's very, you know, that's what comics are about. They're about a writer and they're about an artist and how simpatico they are with one another to tell a story. And that can change with different stories, obviously. But when you're a writer and you find a good artist that can interpretate your vision, interpret your vision the way they work for Cy Spurrier is unique. And he's kind of an individual voice in comics right now, you know. Always challenging, always challenging, you know. All right, well, let's see. Our next one's going to be the James Stokoe fan. Oh, yes, James Stokoe doing it. Okay, so this is just the swearing episode, everybody. So, you know, it's James Stoke, James Orkstein Stokoe. If you haven't Ooh. read Orkstein, go fucking find that book. I, yeah. There's Is there a collection out of that? Uh, there is one. It doesn't reprint all the issues, though. There were a couple that were published at that. Son of a bitch. Unfortunately, he was never able to finish the story. He, he was never able to finish it because the guy lettered, inked, colored, did everything himself, and he put so much detail into it. Now, uh, Aliens Dead Orbit does not have that level of detail, but it is still James Stokoe doing a fucking Aliens comic, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, it, it doesn't reinvent the sun, or, you know, whatever the hell he would be reinventing. But, uh... You know, it's it's a perfectly serviceable alien story, and uh, it's got some pretty badass art in it. I'm, I'm excited. You read the second one, right? Yes. So now in the third one, we're finally going to get to see Stoko doing the aliens a lot, presumably. Right, right, because the interactive between the humans and them kind of kicks in a high gear with issue two. You know, and it's amazing. Stoko writes, draws, inks, letters, colors. He does the whole package. Now, I don't know whether this is a weird uh, anal retentive type of thing on him, but this is how he usually works. I don't know anybody else that... He well, the Orc Stain was his own thing, right? Yes, yes. So I think with Orc Stain, you know, he just did that because he wanted to do Orc Stain, and he just is stuck with that. And it's... Um, well, there was a little one... Remember a couple years back, there was a Marvel one-off? Yep. That... It had, like, uh, Marvel 200 years in the future. And uh-huh. had, like, three or four Avengers. 
And that was a complete package deal by him, too. And if that wasn't one of the best Marvel comics they put out that year, I don't know what, you know, because it stuck to the uh, hero tradition and it had a happy, positive ending, which almost none of Marvel's comics have anymore, you know. So Stoko is worth it. Obviously, he likes aliens. I think you have to like aliens in order to draw aliens. You know, that's the key thing. Uh, but he does a good job. I mean, he gets you through the alien shit, even if you're not an alien fan, you know? Let's see. Do we have anything? Oh, this is a weird one. Now, when we talk about Vertigo being gone and all these books that are published that could have been Vertigo books, Ted Nifa is an interesting commodity because he does this book called Heroines. Now, usually female protagonists are his bread and butter. But this is almost like a Vertigo parody of female superheroes that form a group to want to, like, be in charge of their own destiny. And Naifa handles it pretty well. It's kind of like Vertigo Light. And it, it it's kind of an interesting thing about this one young lady who has powers and wants to put together a super team. And it's got a lot of humor in it, you know what I mean? It never takes itself too seriously. But it has just enough dark material. It has a little bit of sex. So it's kind of like why I call it a vertigo book, but it's all done very tongue-in-cheek and happy talk to a degree. And if there's one problem I have with the book is that the outfit, is it Space Goat Productions or whatever it is, uh, they crippled themselves with having a double-sized first issue of characters nobody knows the creator very few people are familiar about. And then they accidentally put the wrong price on the cover. It was supposed to be five ninety nine. Instead, the cover has it for six ninety nine. Which is pretty much dead, because I, I can't imagine too many retailers like myself who went to the trouble to put a sticker over the five six ninety nine to make it five ninety nine, you know. And even that's a hard sell, even if this is a double issue. But I liked it. I thought it was fun. It was light. Uh, it certainly is a more interesting superhero book than ninety percent of what the big two are putting out. Um, maybe you can negotiate with your dealer to knock a buck off if you pay him cash for it. But I don't know. I'd be able to do that if he came into my shop and bought it. But Heroines is kind of an interesting book. I'm not sure how long it's going to last. But they've already, um, in the latest previews, they already had a uh, trade paperback that collects the massive double size one plus two and three, which aren't even out yet. They're soliciting for it. So very ambitious, you know. They, they have a lot of positivity on it. He might have uh, kickstarted that or something. I can't remember. Yeah, what's well, it's Space Goat? So whoever the fuck they are, it might be his mother's publishing label. Wait, there's Space Goat. Uh, hold on, let's let's look this up while Vernon gets ready to talk to us about Saga. Since I don't, I don't read it. No, no, no. Saga I pushed up because of quarter issue ramp. Uh, oh, is that all you want to say about it? That's um, the only thing that I want to say. How much oh, no. say about I don't think you and I even read Saga. No. Um. What's Space Goat? What's the problem with the Oh No? Space Goat has the. Uh, <laughs> it's not Donald Trump's comic book company, is it? Oh my god. Oh god. Okay, well, I can't. <sighs> okay, so they make board games, which is cool. Uh, okay. But they're also the guys who have picked up the latest uh, Evil Dead 2 license was these guys. <laughs> well, I guess so, because who's got the Army of Darkness license, though? Uh, Dynamite? Dynamite! <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's got to be some pretty cheap-ass licenses of Dynamite picks them up. I think they're probably just this side of uh, public domain, you know? Uh, not that it is, but... 
Well, I, I mean, something they, like Evil Dead 2, I can't imagine that you really, that you're, you're pretty locked in that license, you know? It's like, yeah. they were locked in Army of Darkness, but they continued yeah. with it and had years of material that went with it. But anyway, I no, thought Space Goat might have been Eric Powell's guy, but no, so. That's Albatross, Flying okay. Albatross, yeah. Uh, but anyway, we did find a, a semi-interesting book from uh, Image this, uh, this month called Redneck. Yes. Now, you know, strangely enough, this guy, Donnie Gates, he's an upcoming writer, and he did this one I didn't care for, which is something like hotcakes called God Country. Okay. I found God Country pretty light and not particularly interesting, but visually nice from the artist. But anyway, his second effort through Image, which I think shows him, like he wrote it later, like he's more of a mature writer in control of his uh, sensibilities. Uh, this thing called Redneck about a southern family of vampires that exists uh, out in the sticks. And it's wonderfully drawn by a guy named Lissando Esterin. And it's about this family of vampires, and there seem to be mostly men except for the girl, I think, that's in the cast. Yeah. And the two younger ones want to go out to a titty bar one night. And they do so without the permission of the the grand patriarch or anybody. And there's some kind of uneasy alliance between this family and the town, which is run by this preacher guy who's really, he's like this bald-headed fat guy. And they get in trouble in the titty bar, and their one uncle goes and rescues them. But it cuts to the scene the next morning, of the morning after the carnage. And... This guy, Estherin, he does a great job with uh, the characters and the faces. He's got a real simplistic type of cartoon drawing, but he's got a nice sophisticated uh, sense of black and whites like Eduardo Rizzo and some of those guys. And he gets through the material really cool. They're sympathetic characters and interesting. And I'm kind of looking forward to more of this Donny Gates stuff. He seems like he's got some new takes on old material that might be worthwhile, you know. But uh, Redneck, number one, has already been through two printings and is out for a third, so I don't know what that means, but apparently people are buying the book. Yeah. But uh, Redneck is fun stuff. I, I liked it, you know, and I'm not normally a horror vampire guy, you know. Oh, gosh, I got a couple of more here. Oh, yeah, you got some first. talking to do, Vern. Telling you, man, I tell you, you know, I thought you had read more comics. Maybe, maybe not, but uh, I had to squeak in the new Superman, which... In my humble no, opinion. Let's, let's, let's clarify. He has to squeak in the new issue of New Superman, not the new issue of Superman. Right, right. New Superman is, without a doubt, the best superhero title DC publishes right now. Um, it's by, uh, is it Gene Yuen Yang? He's an indie guy who does a lot of Asian-based stuff because he just likes to write about Chinese influence in society. And Superman is about this experiment from a competitive agency in Chinese government that's trying to do a superhero program that is better than their Chinese Justice League of America. And they have Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, and they're all really fallible characters. And the the, the guy that's chosen to be the new Superman is kind of a pompous, selfish jerk. And <laughs> it works. Yang's writing just blends the humor and the political and the structure all together. And um, right now there's uh, Billy Tan who's doing the artwork. He just substituted for the original guy. And I'll be damned if this isn't one of the funnest reads DC's put out in a while. You know, you, you look at this book. If I was an editor at DC, i go, why the fuck isn't Superman this good? Why can't we do anything with Superman? You know, because new Superman has outlandish plots, espionage, counterterrorism, 
Asian philosophy and learning, and it's all wrapped up in a 120-page story every month. And then when you get to the uh, the variant covers, which, you know, the, the, the artist Billy Tan does the, the regular covers, but the, uh, i trying to remember who does the uh, variant ones, which are just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, let me see. Bernard Chang. Apparently there's a lot of Asian guys working on this book. I'm sure it's Yang's book. But last issue where Ch- uh, Chang did this wonderful picture of the new Superman eating in a Metropolis pizza parlor, slagging away a food he's never had in America, while outside the window, Superman, the real Superman is getting ass kicked, and he's totally nebulous to it because he's eating pizza. And the new one, number 11, has every Asian character hero that's appeared in the DC Universe all sitting down for Chinese dinner with the lazy Susan in the middle. And it is an absolutely wonderful illustration. And the uh, the servers are all like mindless beings that have like starrows over their faces. And it's just a wonderful cover. I mean, this guy, Bernard Chang, is great. Billy Tan does great work on the inside. I can't wait to see this collection out because I'm going to push this shit out of that. All right, on the independent slide again. Well, we, you know, it's funny. We've got so few books, right? And we're talking more about mainstream, or at least I. I got one I more know. to talk about after this one. So after this one, okay. Yeah. Well, we got you, you're going to do Hadrian's Wall, right? I got two more to talk about then, because yeah, you want right. something yeah, else no. off the list. Yeah, right. Uh, Letter forty four was a book that Andrew kind of got tired of a while ago, and I can understand why. Charles Soule may have uh, made it maybe about five or seven issues too long, but it's conspiratorial comic about the end of law life on earth due to this alien cock up is a pretty good story in, in its totality. And we're on the 33rd of 35 issues before the big finale. And I'll be damned if he's not pulling it off. Now the ending is the hardest thing for a a writer to get away with. And so when you read comics, you just necessarily say, you know what? I really like it, but I got to wait until it ends to find out if it's a total read, you know, because you don't want to read a story for 30 issues and have the ending suck. And I'm going to go short on recommending this until the last issues come out, the last two, to see how he finishes it. But he's held my attention all the way through despite some of his, I don't know, excesses, you know. What was the last one? You know, he used to do these little um, uh, done-in-one fill-ins for mm-hmm. the artist, so he'd get a break. Well, the, late, the latest one, I think it was like 30 or 31, had an issue of just the aliens. There were no humans in it whatsoever, and it was all translated from alien speak into English so he could read what they were saying. And it was quite an interesting uh, fill-in issue as well. So Soleil's having a better time than he is writing fucking Daredevil over at Marvel and Secret Empire or whatever the fuck that shit is. But Letter 44, if it finishes nice in the next couple of months, we'll be pushing that one as well. All right, your turn to speak. Home My turn to speak. Hadrian's Wall, uh, which, what, we thought this was a, I thought this was like a five issue or a four issue, and then I thought it was a six. Turns out it's an eight. These yeah. guys just got the number seven. Uh, it's, just came out this week. Uh, came out this week. It's, uh, let me get their names so I don't feel like a jerk here. It's the guys who did uh, Cowl, which was a book that, you know, had a lot of potential and uh, sort of burned through it by the uh, end, even though it ended a little quick. Uh, Kyle Higgins and Alex Siegel, and then the arts, uh, Rod Reese, and he's since come in with a guy who... uh, 
helping him out, Eduardo Ferragato. And uh, number seven is just, I, I think, they wrap up a lot, they introduce a lot, they, they really move this sort of sci-fi mystery into the sci-fi thriller, and they handle dealing with the thriller aspect of people on a space station handling their problems or spaceship, whatever the hell they're on. Yeah, it's but got also, a murder mystery thing, yeah. But they're also dealing with, you know, the big spaceship action a little bit, finally. And it's just turned out to be a good book. Um, really good book. And it's nice because Cowell ended with quite a few problems. It would be nice that they have something out there that doesn't do that. Um, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. And what's just the addition of that guy uh, on Rod Wright's, as far as inking is concerned, has really sharpened up the book and gave it a new visual dynamism. Yes, it's got these wonderful frizzy lines. It reminds me of 80s sci-fi books from Eclipse or uh, what's yeah, Marvel's it, imprint back then. Um, epic. Epic. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it gives it a retro feel without really giving it a retro feel. It just gives it this nice energy and buzz. Yeah, with his painting uh, quality and this new guy helping him out with the inks, it's got kind of almost a Sinkowitzy look to it. You know what I mean? There you go. Very, it's very dynamic, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I want to see it finish fine too, so we can recommend these guys and continue to look for them. And now uh, our last book, unless Vernon's got something else here. Yeah, that, that's it. I, that's all I read this month. All right. Well, we have not talked about it because we haven't podcasted in the last two weeks. War Stories 23 came out. Oh, cool. And it's Ennis doing another four issue. And it's Ennis doing British. It's Ennis doing Flyers. And it's good. Ooh. It's good yeah. stuff. It's safe. It's yeah. safe compared to what else he's been, you know, and um, Thomas Aria, who's been on this book now since issue four or five, through some really rough patches, is finally, you know, getting, he's, he's finally hit his niche. And it, it, when... And it's last September started, or not even last September, but the, the book started, it's, it's been doing three-issue arcs, I believe, Forever. from one to 18, yeah. which is a little weird, because Ennis always did four-issue arcs on his war stories, and I sort of assumed he just wasn't willing to put in the work for Avatar, but now he's doing four-issue arcs again, and it's nice to see him put in the work. And uh, Ari is ready to do it, and it's 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 nice to have this book turn into something. You know, Ennis's war comics used to be a highlight of the reading pile, and then they sort of disappeared, and then they came back with this war stories that got pretty bad a couple times. Yeah, yeah, it hit some hits. And now it's uh, now that Vernon's not reading it anymore, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a Garth. I'm as big a Garth Ennis whore as you are, so it's like I feel bad, you know. But I just oh, I've got get pictures it. of Vernon getting something signed by Garth Ennis. Right, I'm a Garth Ennis whore. Don't be mistaken. And we're like the same age too, so I feel like a a real goofy prick going up there and worshiping somebody my own age. You know, it's really strange. But Garth Ennis is definitely one for the mile. But anyway, that is the list of comics, man. That is the list of comics. You got no excuse not to read a couple of these, anybody out there, kiddies. I mean, uh, there ain't a whole lot of good stuff. So listen to us. We're not lying to you, you know. Uh, There's a couple of trades I'll mention that came out this month real quick. Uh, Second uh, hardbound of three volumes of Providence by Alan Moore and Jason Burroughs hit the rack this uh, week. And it's got the 
it goes to the next level. I think with issue six, it's something that gets progressively creepier as the book goes on. But when you hit issue six, you really, really realize you're reading horror. And this this issue is not for the squeamish, let's put it that way. But a nice trade nonetheless. Uh, And then uh, there's a nice collection of an image book called Last Contract. And do I even have that handy? I do. Uh, Ed Brisson, who's never really impressed me as anything more than kind of a B-level writer, he uses a lot of ideas that are kind of okay and works with them and kind of comes to some okay conclusions. But he wrote this four-issue series called uh, Last Contract. And, oh, my God, it's by it's drawn by Lysandro Etherin, the same guy who does fucking Redneck. That's amazing. But it's about this hitman who's, like, in his 70s, and he just – he's got his dog. He lives alone. He just wants to be left the fuck alone. And some act he did like 20 years ago is coming back to haunt him. And it's called The Last Contract because he gets drugged into a situation that he never wanted to be in in the first place. But 20 years later, he's got to pay the price. And it's a wonderful done-in-one story in four issues. And it works. And I have to say it's probably among the best Ed Brisson I've ever read. So if you like noirish, violent mobster stories with Hitman, that's a good way to go. I can't. I can't complain. That's two trade paperbacks. You and I've got. Get. I've got a third to. to you chime got a in. Third. Well, because Mockingjay Volume Two came out. Uh, My feminist agenda came out last month. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, while not as sort of revolutionary as the first one, it's a really solid. Um, really solid three issue storyline. Uh, Mocking Jay on a cruise ship while Clint's on trial for killing the Hulk and all sorts of craps going on. It's funny. It's smart. It's got a great visual design to it. Um, it's a damn shame that book didn't continue. Yep, it's it's Marvel in their feminist agenda. Huh. Or lack thereof. Lack thereof. Right. We got plenty of female characters and we got some women to write them, but. We're not really getting much response, but yeah, I did. I did check out the first trade of that, and I did enjoy the adventures of Bobby, Bobby Morse, or whatever. Bobby Morse, yep. Yeah. And that was a good book. And uh, it's too bad that uh, see, that's the thing. Every once in a while, Marvel will publish something good, but it, it goes against the grain for what their normal Marvel heads want to read, and so they fail with it. Whereas a book like this would succeed at probably any other publisher but Marvel. It's kind of strange. Yeah. Is that Kelly Sutakonic or is it somebody else? I forget. I'm no, sorry. it's Chelsea Kane who came in. For, she writes. Uh, she's a novelist who is friends with Bendis, and he like convinced her to write a comic, and then she got Marvel male Marvel fans harassed her off of Twitter. So I think she's done with comics. That's right. Yeah, her feminist agenda did not help the Marvel fans who have never made love or met women before. So So we will not be telling you guys what Verted Shop is this episode because uh, (laughs) he doesn't want to start any fights. Uh, Not in the middle, but you know, like Marvel heads just don't get that shit, man. They're like, oh. What are you saying, Bird? If somebody sits around and wonders about the color of Cable's fake eye, they are are pulling some tail. Uh, Does Cable have a fake phallus that's shiny and and metal like his arm? (laughs) I get only his hairdresser knows for sure on that one. uh, But But we are short on comics, but we got as much. 
And we're happy to say that uh, when we move on to the TV stuff, we were down to our last two shows and they finished off for the not, the, not WB Network, CW Network, I think it's called yep, now. CW. And uh, Flash and Supergirl seem to get through their most recent seasons uh, relatively unscathed, if not 100% uh, satisfying to some right. degree. I mean, both of them sort of had uh, Flash to a lesser extent. The last two episodes of Supergirl sort of pair up together as, you know, she's dealing with something. I was particularly impressed with uh, sort of the grandiosity of the action sequences and some of that, and they... uh, they pull that off, and they sort of get themselves set up pretty nicely for next season. Uh, their first season where they know they're renewed, and they know they're on the CW, and they you know know what they're going to be able to do. Yeah, they handle the material with a lot more confidence than they did in season one, which yes. makes a newer show. And you're right. The the great you know the funny thing is in the last episode when you see the big fight scene between Supergirl and Superman. Oh, we got to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that, was, that was pretty good. That was better than any of the special effects in The Flash, watching those two pound the shit out of each other. Yeah. You know I mean? um, Apparently, there's something called silver kryptonite that makes Superman susceptible to mind control, which, admittedly, I'd forgotten. I mean, I, I read about all the various kryptonites when I was a kid in the 60s, but I don't remember silver, but there's a lot about Superman I don't know since right. then. And it's just a, that fight uh, Man, that was that was great, man. That was definitely the battle of the sexes there, you know. Yeah. I, I liked it quite a bit, you know. It was it was a pretty cool thing, um, just seeing how many hats they balanced too, with all the different stories and characters. You know, both shows did that. Both shows have gotten really big, and both shows had to sort of wrap it up in uh, in an episode, really. And with Supergirl, they brought in. It, it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just Superman. They also had uh, Cliss Flockhart back. They had Linda Carter back as the president. And um, I'm just going on record now. I know a lot of Vern and I have talked about this, but if you've seen the last episode of Supergirl of the season, Callista Flockhart has got to play Lois Lane too. She's got to. Yeah, but she's jealous of Lois. Exactly! It's perfect! Because that's what I want Lois to be. I want Lois to be some older woman cruising for Clark's tight buds. Like, yeah. that's what yeah, I want. It is so weird because the guy, was it Henry Colville or Cavill that Hot- plays Superman? Hotchner. Somebody Hotchner. Yeah. He, he plays Superman. He looks like he's about 10 or 15 years younger than her. <laughs> and every time she gets around him, she gets all goofy, like, man, I want some of that man thing, you know? And <laughs> it, is just, it is just so laced with underlying funny sexual tension that she pulls it off quite successfully. Yes. And, and Clark is always like, you know, I could have this piece of ass, but I'm happily married to Lois, so I'm going to let it go. And it, it's, in, it's in every scene between them, and it's just fucking hilarious, you know? Uh, I, I will have I – will, I will say that last episode – of Supergirl did feature the lamest scene in that entire season two, where poor Monel has to fly off in the Kryptonian you, you rocket just ship. Spoiled the fucking. Nah, season. nah. There's no spoilers there. He gets in a spaceship, flies off. 
that is the lamest scene I've ever seen in my life. This spaceship looks like it was made by high school students putting together styrofoam and spray foam and glue and shit and whatever they found in the closet in their high school art class. I mean, it, it's it it makes him look really sad and pathetic at the end. You know, well, I mean? like, he's sad, Vern. Uh, yeah, he's sad. Well, he got he got he got a good piece of Supergirl tail, so he had a he had a pretty good one. I was very mad that that they, they chose him as the one that deflowered Supergirl. But hey, we all got to make our sacrifices. Our first is not always the best, as they say. And uh, then uh, Flash, Flash is changing things up for season four. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still. I'm, I'm wondering about. Uh, again, we we try to avoid spoilers, but Vern's not going room, to. The room, the room. I'm still wondering why the Speed Force always demands that a speedster be in the timeout room, as we call it, around the shop. I'm like, you must go to the timeout room, and they sit around and think and look at the walls. And I'm like, what does it mean, man? What is this? What is the space? What does the Speed Force make? A perfectly good superhero sit in a room and look at the walls. It, it, I'm still wondering about that, you know? You were, mad about, you were mad about the physical incarnation of the Speed Force in the last episode, if I remember correctly. Because you said it was based on a character that nobody cared about anymore. And I agree with that. But I'm just wondering what other human or what other figure could they have used that would have worked with Barry. And I'm not sure that that, that that's satisfactory, but it's still kind of like the underlying thing is a little disappointing. And you're like, okay, you know. It, it, it. Go ahead. Anybody. They could have used anybody. Yeah, they probably could have. They probably could have. And uh, I don't know. The Flash seems to be settling in this groove where all the characters know who they are, what their roles are. And it, it, you could accuse it to be on the verge of formulaic, but things happen. So many things mm. happen. And they try to put the characters into some uh, uh, contradictory situations where they end up being very different than they were at the beginning of the season. Yes. You know, and it adds a lot of spice to the mix. Um, they're, they're constant reinvention to the character HR or what yes. is it? Wells. Yeah, Wells. Mr. Wells. I mean, whoever's acting doing this guy is having a ball, I think, because yeah. he's on every episode for three seasons straight, and he's playing a lot of different characters. It's just kind of cool, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm still perhaps a little perturbed about the relationship between Barry and Iris. <laughs> it, to me, it verges on the edge of Japanese, uh, what's that word with ball blockage? Constipation. You know, they have this thing where, where every Japanese love relationship looks so constipated because it can, it's, it, they can't get it resolved. They can't go to step two. And it's just kind of funny in that way because I'm like, okay, come on. Come on already. It's been three years, man. You know, come on. Give me a break here, folks. But you know what? It, it, it does, it gets enough of its grand, grand Guggenhall finish in there where, you know, for a TV show, you'd have to say, okay, I'm good. You know, yeah. you've got to turn your logic off a little bit. But the special effects uh, work fine. Uh, you say that they're even better than what you saw in Wonder Woman last night, so that's cool. Yeah. And, and, uh, we'll, talk about, we'll talk a tiny bit about Wonder Woman. We don't want to give spoilers. But, uh, yeah, a lot of spoilers about you, Wonder Woman. Um, you, you saw Wonder Woman, and uh, as far as a movie experience for fans, what would you say? And I know, try not to be your cynical, normal self. Um, 
Nobody cheered at the end of the movie. Wow. Obviously, he didn't go to that all-girls showing in Texas. Uh, there were there were plenty of uh, there were plenty of groups of girls going to see the movie that I saw the showing at, and um, they were very engaged. I overheard a group of girls talking about. They were like, "Why the hell doesn't Marvel movies have Pepper Potts in them anymore?" Like she was supposed to be a female Iron Man, and then they fired her. Like, what the hell's wrong with them? So yeah. these are engaged. Uh, these are engaged female fans, and. Um, did not provoke. Uh, did not provoke cheers. Uh, personally, I think the movie's getting a lot of passes that uh, Man of Steel did not get. Well, well, that's the whole thing. Man of Steel and Superman versus Batman set such a low bar that it wouldn't. And Vernon's mind. Well, <laughs> they saw, all right, those, those most, both those movies are pretty bad, but so they set a low bar that DC had to get over. So the question is, did they did they exceed the bar of expectations from the first two crappy films that DC has produced? DC's produced three films, including the worst movie ever made, Suicide Squad. Uh, oh, I, yeah, that was pretty bad. Maybe not as bad as Superman, Batman, but pretty bad. Uh, uh, I'd probably watch Superman, Batman again before Wonder Woman. Really? Wow, wow, that's scathing yeah. because I thought... I watched the three-hour version, and that was horrible. I wouldn't watch that again. I told you not to watch that fucking version. I know. I, you know, I'm not even a Christian, but the whole the whole decrucifixion scene at the end of Batman vs. Superman was so utterly ridiculous that if I, I was the producer that saw that, i go, you know what, redo that, because we really don't need to introduce Superman as Christ, okay? We really don't need to go there. Um, and Wonder Woman was the best fucking thing about Superman, Batman, and she's in the, what, all of ten minutes of this three-hour thing, and it was very deceptive that all the trailers for the movie featured Wonder Woman prominently. I will say, um, I, Superman, Batman gave it all away in the trailer, and people hoped that it wasn't going to give it all away. Wonder yeah. Woman does not give it all away in the trailer. There's not much in the trailer. There's just a lot of fight scenes, I think. That's that's pretty much all the trailer. That's what I'm afraid of, that it's just going to be a movie full of fight scenes because, you know, I mean, that's, the conflict is part of superhero movies. I get it. But you also have to get empathic for the character. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You know, like in Superman, Batman, I had no sympathy for any of the characters whatsoever. And I think that's what makes maybe Marvel movies a little more interesting because you like the characters a little more than you well, do. Well, that and they don't look like they've been shot through a bowl of pea soup. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And there's the narrative structure of, uh, is it Zack Snyder, which is pretty non-existent and trying to do it and be a storyteller as well. It is Zack Snyder, right? Okay, on the uh, Superman Batman. Now, they had a woman female director on uh, Wonder Woman, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, did she make a difference? Or was this more by the numbers? By the numbers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, that's that's the thing, too. Like, everybody's saying, oh, you know, what's his name? Uh, what was the movie he couldn't finish? Uh, uh, who's the guy doing the, the Marvel stuff that had to drop off the latest Avengers film or whatever because his daughter passed away? That was Zack Snyder and Justice that was, League. Yeah. yeah. And, and then uh, what's his name? Uh, got my name. My, my Joss Whedon's taking it over. He's going to finish the post-production work, so maybe there's some hope for that. I doubt it, though. Justice League sounds like a big bowl of poo to me. I don't know. So, so Josh Whedon is going to collect a pretty big check 
trying to – but but his reputation is there though because he could make it plausible. But then there's always that argument you have that the films don't need to be good because they're going to succeed anyway. And a lot of people are talking about Wonder Woman hitting the 100 million mark. And I, I mean there's a lot of anticipation. All the critics are talking about it. Uh, it doesn't have that many commercials on TV. They did not spend – a ton of movie running commercials for Wonder Woman that I can tell on commercial television. and But yet there's a lot of anticipation for everybody wanting to go see Wonder Woman. And they're talking about maybe this thing bypassing $100 million this weekend. And that would be phenomenal. But it would just lend credence to your argument that it doesn't have to be good. It just has to be, you know, so... Uh, I'm hopeful, you know, I, I hope they get to make a Wonder Woman too. I like Gal Gadot a lot. Um, Patty I, Jenkins I, is fine. I mean, yeah. but... Is that the guy, Steve Trevor? Patty Jenkins is the director. Ooh, sorry, didn't know. Captain Kirk is Steve Trevor, and he's, he's fine. Um, he's good. They're very cute together. Um... And I hope they get to make a second one. But the thing has been that I've hoped they get to make a second one for, you know, Man of Steel. I really wanted to see a second one of that, and we didn't get that. We got Batman versus Superman instead. And I'm not confident that, um, I'm not that confident that uh, Warner's interested in doing sequels like that. I Warner seems to be a very dysfunctional entity because their movies are misguided and poorly directed. And well, I'm just going to say something now. Um, yeah, they made the Harry Potter movies, which were misguided and poorly directed, so with shitty special effects and questionable yeah. acting. So, And they made a ton of money, and they were critically revered for the fact that they were... Uh, faithful to the source material, which is has nothing to do with um, making the movie. Um, so it's very much in line, in my opinion, with what Warner Brother does. Warner Brothers does. Um, so they're sausage factory these days, pretty much. And now one of the things, and then we'll just let it go. Let it go is that I've heard a lot about how Wonder Woman has been compared to the 78 Superman. That was uh, that comparison in an interview the director I read. Here's the thing. 78 Superman spent more money on its opening titles than most Hollywood releases at the time. They cost like $8 million bucks to do those opening titles. Wow. Superhero movie, Batman had those opening titles where you went through the Batman logo. Yeah. In the 21st century, studios have lost their collective cojones to do an opening title sequence, and Wonder Woman is no different. Wonder Woman ends with a bland title sequence no different than a Captain America movie, than any of those things. Iron Man movies, you remember they all had those end title sequences where they yeah. zoomed around the suits. It's basically the same thing. And I'm like, it's because these these films are not confident enough that they can hold the general attention through opening titles, which is sad. It's sad yeah. that these filmmakers think that they are so... They, they, are, they have... They cannot... They're... 
their content is not going to be compelling enough to keep people interested to sit for three minutes to watch the names of the crew. Wait, and, 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 a, and a good director like really incorporates them in any way. They're not. Yeah, yeah. they're 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 you you read them, but they don't disrupt the action of the movie. So, wow. I'm glad. I'm glad it's doing well. I'm glad people like it. I don't think it's going to mean that Justice League is any good. I saw the trailer to Justice League, and it looks like shit. And um, that one. It's the latest trailer, the one where it's a shorter one. It doesn't introduce the kid. It looks like shit. I mean, it looks like shit. They all look like shit. Yeah, they all look like the tra- That's true. The trailers do all look like shit. I saw the Spider-Man Homecoming third trailer, which I've been avoiding just because I didn't want to get mad after. I loved the first trailer of Spider-Man. Second uh-huh. trailer, I hated. Third trailer is, you know, nope. shitty. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just it, like... It, it, now, is Sony doing this one or is Disney doing this one? Disney's producing it. Sony's releasing it. Okay. Use Sony. Sony Pictures, and then, then when I saw the trailer, I'm like, oh man, Sony Pictures, oh man, they did those turd balls. <laughs> I'm like, I really didn't want to see it. And not everyone likes Spider-Man. You might not read the fucking comics, but you don't mind seeing a movie about right. Spider-Man. So, okay. Alright. Well, it's an interesting time where superhero movies are on the verge of mediocrity. Okay? Oh, I think and they've been there for quite a while, Vernon. Right. Well, let's say that those of us with a higher sense of what a film is would not enjoy. These are not films; they're roller coaster rides. Perhaps I was mistaken calling them films. Right, it's uh, a but, roller coaster ride with a. I don't want to okay. spoil anything. Um, but you can you can come up with a metaphor. Oh yeah, I can. I can come up with a metaphor. But yes, um, this the, and that's not, of course, what. Superman was or Batman was those were those created genres of their own you know yeah. they they defi- they redefined popular cinema um, especially Superman sort of for my generation I'm a little bit younger than Vernon just a bit just a bit it was it was very accessible to children as well right. Whereas Wonder Woman, not only Wonder Woman, I would say is like, what if they made a shitty version of Captain America: First Avenger, basically? Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, it, it has a lot of weight on its shoulders, being a perceived piece of feminist. And and, and I like, don't I don't want to get into that. Um, because, well, is that, you know, the thing is, could a mom bring her daughter to it and expect her daughter to have higher hopes for womankind after watching Wonder Woman? And I'm like, I don't know. If that's a point, you know. But it's it's, I, it's baggage that Wonder Woman brings along with her. You know, it would be really cool if the daughter could. But yeah, I, at some point during the movie, I'm sitting there going, I don't really think this is that, ex- with the exception of the visual of a, a woman kicking ass while being gently objectified by all of her male co-stars. Yes. The trailer reminds me of, like, uh, Frank Miller comics in some degree. You know what I mean? And, but, so that in itself, the idea that a woman can be a superhero is something, but did Wonder Woman inspire me? 
Um, and I, and I never talked about this on the podcast. Oh, I watched the Linda Carter show as a three-year-old. I used to run around and play Wonder Woman. Like, there was concern about little Andrew. Um, as long as you didn't put on the bathing suit, we're good to go, Andrew. Uh, I had a Wonder Woman t-shirt that was pretty badass. Um, but, uh, is this the inspiring Wonder Woman character full of, um, humanism and sympathy and, uh, compassion, compassion, uh, only if you're full of shit. That's too bad because Wonder Woman has always been shown to be the, while Batman and Superman were always like these hard case assholes. He was always one to look at the eyes of the enemy and say, there's a facet here. But you now, go see it, maybe we'll do a special episode or something uh, where we, we get into it. But there are some yeah. things that I'm just like, there's some interviews with the director where I'm just like, what are you, you're lying. You didn't yeah. do that at all. That's a well, that, lie. Well, that was it. When I read a quick, I saw an interview with the director on PBS or something, and it led me to believe that, she was actually trying to do something that was geared a little bit more. And I'm like, well, is one of the going to let you do that? I mean, are they going to let they you do that? Did they did not just- let her do that. And I don't yeah. believe she was actually that interested in it. And the script was certainly not interested in doing any of that. Okay. All Sturm and Drang, in other words, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. All Sturm and Drang, lack of understanding. Um, what is it? Recently, Greg Rucka made waves by pointing out that, of course, there's lesbian relationships on Paradise Island. Sounds like Greg Rucka. Yep. Uh, no, not in the movie. There's not. Really? So there's an island full of women. And they none of them ever experience romantic love. Wow, that's, that's a pretty uh, rough place to live. Apparently I mean, so. When you think about it, when there's an island full of people who whose goal is compassion and they don't even horse around. Their goal is not compassion. No, very warlike. Okay. Let's just say let's just say that there are some Brian Azarillo um Oh. Yeah. Vern just made a face. Vern just got what I'm saying. Um Yeah. Let's just say that this is not based on the George Perez or Bill Lobes. This is not an adorable story of Wonder Woman empowering a bunch of Girl Scouts while they spelunk. It is very much an adaptation of Brian Azzarillo's tone on Wonder Woman. Okay. Uh, Okay. Sad but true. But But the the, the really cynical thing I wanted to say was uh, the Kathy Lee Crosby movie... The t- made-for-TV movie. Made-for-TV movie with the blonde-haired uh, Wonder Woman who... In the jogging suit. In the jogging suit. That reminded me more of Wonder Woman than this. Okay. Gal Gadot well, was good, but the script for that... Doesn't let her was far, The script for the Kathleen Lee Crosby movie was far more... Sympathetic. Feministly-minded, I guess I would say. And... But, I mean, you know who wrote this was Alan Heinberg. You remember that guy. He wrote Young Avengers, like, ten years ago. He fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he sucks. It's... He wrote the OC. He sucks. Like, <laughs> it's not It's yeah. not like it's not like they got a, what's-her-face, 
Who's that Wonder Woman awesome Trina Robbins? It's not like Trina Robbins wrote this fucking movie. It was fucking Alan Heinberg, you know, like, and Jeff Johns, like, you know, it's, backing them it's up. Really, it's amazing that in this day and age that DC can't get more women creators to interpret Wonder Woman in a way that... Why would they want to? Why would women want to work for a major comic book company? They get death threats. They probably get shit sent to their houses. People yeah. threatening their kids at school. And forget about social media. You know, right? Like it's not fucking worth it. Like, and then in the end, you're just like, "Well, shit, I should have just made my own fucking comic." And it's like, "Yeah, you should have." And so they yeah, did, and it's better. And so <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's because it's because you know DC and Warner don't give a shit. And well, that's a funny thing. Gail Godot is an actress. I mean, she's like uh, she taught Israeli soldiers like. You know, uh, endurance training and beat the shit out of him and all that. And I'm like, you go, girl. But that you know, like I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe she could bring some of that sass to Wonder Woman. But uh, there's some, there's that- some good sass to Wonder Woman. But once you get into the fact, there's, I, we can't talk about it. But let's just right. say that Captain Kirk's really, really important in a way that he really, really shouldn't be. I see. Okay. He has a penis. <laughs> As we all know, that's very important in today's superhero films. Well, not too bad. We got it. We got we got covered everything as much as we, we could. Did. Uh, yeah. Other than one more thing, I'm saying support your local comic shop. They need it. I need it. We all need it. Uh, uh. And who knows? Maybe something really good will come out this month. And. Um... Well, June will be the not not if previous catalogs have anything to say about Damn it. Damn it, Vern! Why you got why you got to crap on the parade? You're right. You're right. Go buy comics; they're wonderful. All the movies, <laughs> wonderful. Those wonderful. Just just shut up and enjoy them all. I'm, I'm turning into a cynical old man at 55. It's truly sad. I, I'm pretty sure anybody who knows you would say you were a cynical old man a lot before you were 55, Vern. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, my friend Tom found a stash of photographs of us when we were in the 20s doing all sorts of fun stuff together. And so he started putting them up on his Facebook account. And my daughter sees a side of her father that she didn't know existed. And it just it's kind of interesting, you know. Uh-huh. You get little hints of it, you know, from the family over the years. But it's interesting to see uh, how he how he is in pictures in his 20s anyway. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, hey, we all have to reinvent ourselves at one time or another, so my time is coming. So, there you go. And on that note, we successfully conclude yet another thrill-based episode of Comics Fondle. Yes, uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back, I'm sure, next month with uh, maybe more than ten books, maybe not. Um, that would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool? Yeah, I, I'd love to read more than ten comics in a month. That would be really fucking cool, you know. I mean, my customers read more comics than I do, which is not a good thing. Because, you know, I mean, secretly, guys, Vern just sits around the shop and reads comics all day. <laughs> yeah, me and Lefty, we keep ourselves occupied. Uh, all right, right everybody. Well, give us your give us your comments. You can reach Andrew at comicsfondle.com. You can reach me at the comics gallery at Gmail. Or you can come in the shop and talk to me directly and I'll pretend I care. And uh, we'll work on that. So we love you all. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody.
See you next month. Bye.